I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is another episode of Insight into Isaiah. Glad to have you, and uh, if you would, turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 57. In our last program, uh, the last topic that we had uh, had to do with what I call uh, religious people, about how that even unbelievers, even those that reject the Lord and don't pay attention to the Lord, they have a religion because the word religion means a way of life and they have their own set of conditions for it and, uh, and uh, that you and I, uh, instead of taking on the title that we have a religion, that rather we take, should take on the, the explanation that we have a relationship that we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that uh, what defines us is not what we do as routine or on a regular basis, but rather who we believe in. But others, religious people, do certain routines, and they do them religiously uh, for it, and that is not spirituality. That is not what our faith is about, not what is the instruction of the Lord. And as you know... Uh, religious people are, in fact, religious. They do routines. And the Messiah himself spoke against rote routines, uh, that he wants it to be spontaneous and alive and vibrant. Now, that's not to say that we're against custom or against tradition, but rather that we define ourselves by the relationship we have with God as opposed to the routines uh, that we go through and do. So that was how we concluded in the last session, and we're continuing on in chapter 57, verse 14. He's going to shift gears now back to, to us again, the remnant, and here's what he has to say. Verse 14, and it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and the lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever. Neither will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me. And the breath of those whom I have made, because of the iniquity of the unjust gain, I was angry and struck him. I hid my face, was angry, and he went on turning away in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the praise of lips Peace, peace to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord, I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Again, we still have this contrast between what God's going to do for his remnant, even though we're scattered in the world, versus the, the others that we're in the midst of 
and how he's able to separate out so that we can be comforted, we can be healed. They are not. We can receive peace. They have no peace. It's a little bit like back when God was rendering judgments. In Egypt, they showed a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians, and God knows how to make a distinction uh, here in the world between us, his remnant, that believes and trusts in him versus the other people that are in the world. Thank goodness for that, that we don't get lumped in before the Lord along with everybody else, especially when their deeds uh, overwhelm us, are all around us in our communities. The Lord knows how to separate us out. I want you to take note of this one particular phrase, because it's a very powerful phrase that gets used elsewhere when talking about the subject. Verse 19, creating the praise of lips, peace, peace to him who is far and to him who is near. And that is a phrase that's used um, uh, throughout Scripture that refers to those that are in the land versus those who are not in the land. Those who are near are near to Jerusalem, and there are those who are far, that are far from Jerusalem. It doesn't mean that they're far from the faith. It's rather that they're in a location that is far away. You and I are part of the category of we're in the far. We are literally on the other side of the globe from Jerusalem. But God's promise for this is for the near and for the far. And so we are concluded into this because, as you know, the great plan of God, the great goal of God, is that in his seed would all the families of the earth be blessed. All people's tribes and tongues all throughout the world. And he's making reference to them, not only who are near, who they're in Israel, but those who are far as well to be a part of that. Um, I'll just share a personal anecdote here. This verse 21, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. When I was um, a young sailor and a believer in the Navy, had a friend, uh, and when you're in the military, you make friends with all kinds of people, had a friend, but he had a lot of struggles, and he was, found himself getting in trouble uh, while he was in the military. He, would, he was tardy, wasn't doing things properly, and so he, you could tell he was having a lot of trauma, and I think there were some personal issues with some of his family or friends or whatever and but you know he and I just kind of headed off we were kind of bunkmates there at the barracks and we'd spend some time together in the evening and so forth and and I remember sitting with him and he was kind of sharing a little bit about him and I remembered this verse and I shared this verse with him I said well there's no peace says the Lord for the wicked And I said to him, I said, as long as you continue to walk away from the Lord and to do your own thing, you're not going to have any peace. And that penetrated his heart. And at that moment, he repented. Um, You know, going back into our previous lesson about the Lord sends his word out and it doesn't return to him void, that accomplishes what he did. 
I saw that verse go into a man's heart. And it was exactly what it needed to turn. And uh, and I've never forgotten that verse, and I've never forgot that fellow. His name was Scott. That he turned back to the Lord. I didn't. He wasn't around me a lot after that. But when he did depart, his, his life was turning around, and and uh, it, it was uh, it was a great friendship for as short-lived as it was. All right. Let's go now to chapter 58. This is a very intriguing chapter for us. Um, And let me uh, get into it, and then I'm going to explain why this chapter kind of stands out. Chapter 58, verse 1. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways. As a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and thou dost not see? Why have we, (coughs) pardon me, humbled ourselves and thou dost not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed, for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Before I go further, let me tell you that what I just read here and what follows, this is the reading and the teaching that we do on the Day of Atonement. This is the standard reading and teaching lesson of uh, what is the Day of the Lord, uh, Yom Kippur. The reason why it's been selected for that and traditionally is always taught at that time is as you know, the Day of Atonement is the day we fast. And there's some language in here about fasting. And But what really is in here is a real examination from Isaiah to us. I mean, we talked about the, the believers, and then we talked about those who act like they're believers but aren't. And so he's now talking to those that would say in their heart, Oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I don't make those kinds of mistakes. I, I'm really checked out. I'm, I'm really uh, trying to pursue the Lord. I'm, I'm really pursuing a relationship with the Lord and, and things like that. He's talking to that audience that, that would pretty much cover all of us. And he says, okay, now let's review where you're really at. By the way, I'm getting ready to blow a trumpet on all your sins. That's pretty bold. By the way, in Yom Kippur, it's the last day of the trumpet. And on 10 days earlier, Rosh Hashanah, we had the Feast of Trumpets, and there's trumpet blasts, and on on Yom Kippur, it's referred to as the last trumpet. And there's a final trumpet blow uh, for repentance. And so he's talking about blowing a trumpet, which is associated with that time frame. As I said, this is also read at Yom Kippur. So it fits right into, because one of the things we're supposed to do 
from the Feast of Trumpets until Yom Kippur. We're supposed to be repenting. We are supposed to be doing a self-examination. And we're talking about the righteous are supposed to be a self-examination. Are we really doing what the Lord wants us to do? Are we humbly approaching the Lord? And the idea of fasting is you abstain from personal pleasure, food, and such. And you are to humble yourself to the Lord to hear the Lord, to be heard by the Lord and hear the Lord. Um, And that's what this is talking about, remembering what a fast is for, about bowing one's head like a reed and seeking the Lord to be heard. But as you know, Isaiah take contrast that by saying, wait a minute, let's step back and realize, what are you fasting for, really? And he basically says this. He says, if you come and you fast before the Lord, seeking the relationship with God, and yet your relationship with other people, your relationship with your brethren, is full of contention and strife and envy, you're wasting your time fasting to the Lord. That is not acceptable to the Lord. In fact, he asks the question rhetorically, is this what you call acceptable? (coughs) Um, One of the comparisons to this is the parable that Yeshua taught where he talked about a man that was in debt. And his master called him in and wanted payment. And he pleaded for mercy. And then he went out. And then he went to another man who had an even more minor debt to him. And he went to him and he was vicious and without mercy to him uh, for the debt that he owed. And then the master came back to him and basically condemned him and put judgment upon him. Guys, let me put that in simple terms and with Isaiah 58. If you're in the faith and you're one of my fellow messianic brethren and in the course of your walk with the, you know, you're faithful, you're observant, you keep the feast, you keep the Sabbath, you do all these good things and yet you find yourself in conflict with other brethren. You find yourself in disputes there's something really wrong. Something really wrong. Your faith is not right before the Lord. Things are not correct before the Lord. And <clears throat> Isaiah uses, you know, probably one of the most intense moments of when we're seeking God, the most intense moments when we're focusing on the Lord, and that's when we fast before the Lord. And he's saying, in that moment, Step back from yourself and look at yourself. Why are you fasting? What else is going on in your life? Are the other parts of your life humble and contrite? Because I heal the contrite. I heal those that are hurting and so forth. But if you're not contrite, then you're contentious. If you're not sorry and not stepping back and saying, woe is me, there go I except by the grace of God. And you forget all that stuff and then you get haughty, you get high and mighty, 
you get to where that you have to dominate your will over others. Your fasting doesn't count before the Lord. It's not right. The same parable and same teaching is if you come to bring a gift to the Lord, if you have aught with your brother, you're to leave your gift there, go back and fix the relationship with your brother before you come and give your gift to the Lord. The Lord is not going to have a relationship with you in which that you honor him and the debt between you, and yet you turn around and scorn others for what you perceive as the debt they owe you. Uh, and even if you think you're right, it doesn't play. It doesn't play with the Lord whatsoever. So Isaiah now is going to shift gears, and he says he's going to give us some help. What is the kind of fast that God's really looking for? In other words, okay, I acknowledge that I haven't been doing this correctly, and I need to get this straightened out. So what would you recommend that I do, Lord? Verse 6, it says, Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house? And when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. Now, before I go further, there's some very specific instruction here. By the way, a lot of the things that he's talking about, what are they? Are they beliefs? You've you got to get your doctrine right. You've got to believe in the right things. Oh, you have to believe in the two-house theory. Oh, you, you know, no, he's not talking about that. It's what you do. And we all both know that what you say and what you do must match. You cannot say certain things and do something else. That's a hypocrite. That is not true before the Lord. The Lord recognizes that. He will not honor that. So what you say, you got to do. Tell you the truth, you don't even have to say it. Just go do it. And let others say it about you. That's even the better way to do it. You don't need to toot your own horn in the faith. Just go and serve humbly. Assist others. Believe me, the word will get back. And it will be even better than anything you could have said of yourself. You know, we know this. We have the experience. We know a lot of people will go around in the course of events tooting their horn. I've done this. I've done that. I'm, you know, so the truth of the matter is, in most cases, they were a part of something that accomplished those things. They weren't the only person. But it's fascinating how they're willing to take on all the glory. And they forget, especially, that the Lord was involved in a lot of the stuff that was going on. And rather than recognize, they simply got to be a part 
of what God was doing. God permitted them to be have a part in it. They take the credit on of themselves. And what they do is they set themselves up for great error. And they lose the understanding of their relationship with other people. These tasks specifically get you to get out of yourself and get involved in other people's lives. To get involved with serving others and assisting others and helping others. Believe me, if you go out and you don't worry about promoting yourself, you just go and serve and help others and help others and help others and help others, it will all come back to you. Let me tell you how it comes back to you. I mean, he gives the picture. Instead of you taking a flashlight and shining it on yourself, or a spotlight, spot, you know, put yourself under the spotlight. No, it's like the dawn of the day and the whole light of the day comes. And by the way, the light of the day is so powerful, the spotlight like does nothing, even when it's on. Uh, there's an incredible comparison there uh, as to it. And I would rather have <clears throat> the dawning of the day and quite honestly, I'd rather have several brethren singing the praises of my service as opposed to me standing up and singing the praise of my service and trying to tell you, look, you don't know who you're talking to. Look, I mean, look at me. This is what I've done. One looks like a fool. The other one looks like it's a very wise person and a very spiritual person and one who is worthy of reward from God. And all men know it uh, for it. So he points that out, that that's what we're really talking about. Now, I love this verse in verse 9, because the dawning of the day is great. But then he says, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, here I am. One of the things that I share <clears throat> about what we learned from Abraham and the faith of Abraham is, is that Abraham's relationship with God, it worked kind of like this. Abraham would get up one morning and all of a sudden God would say, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham would go, here I am, Lord. And then he would give him instruction on what he wants to do. And it worked the other way around. Abraham could call on the Lord, Lord. And he would say, here I am, Abraham. Now, that's not an oversimplification. That's how it really worked. They were that focused, that close together in the relationship. His presence was right there with him the whole time. And that's the relationship he had. What, wouldn't you like to have a relationship with the Lord like that? I believe that's a worthy goal for every spiritual person, is that your relationship with the Lord grows to the point that you can call upon him and he immediately answers you. But to have that, you have to respond when he calls you too. And that's the part that gets tricky for some people. Oh, I love to have God pay attention to me, but no, I'm not really in the mood or I'm busy and I don't really want to pay attention to the Lord. If the Lord always comes and asks me to do something, it's always inconvenient. It's not. You know, Lord, you need to ask me to do things when I'm in the mood to do them. 
That's the way a lot of people approach their spirituality. And by the way, the Lord doesn't play that game. And that's the reason why when you call out, it's kind of like calling heaven and it keeps ringing, keeps ringing, keeps ringing, nobody answers. And you have to leave a message because he's not answering the phone for you. There's no reason for him to answer it from you. You don't have that kind of relationship with him. Um, a lot of people call the ministry, and they would love to talk to me immediately. Quite honestly, I'm not available. i got a lot of other stuff going on. Now, <clears throat> if I know you, and you know me, and we have a real relationship between us, you can call here and ask for me. And they will hunt me down, and they will say, Marcel is calling or somebody's calling that you know, and I'll say, I'll take the call. It's based on relationship. And by the way, let me just tell you, on those individuals, I know that if anything happens in my life, that I can call them directly. They will receive my call, and they will help me. That's the relationship God wants to have with all of us. Not this religion relationship. Not this where we have the appearance of righteousness or justice, where it really works. And the measure of it really working is, and let me just, um, let me just pose a rather interesting question to you. Not everybody has this experience, but a lot of people who come to have this kind of relationship with this, they do have this experience. And here's the question that I pose to you. Have you ever heard the voice of God? Have you ever been in a situation or in a certain place where you heard the small, quiet voice of God speak to you and you knew it was him? If you have, those are the hallmarks of a relationship with the Lord. That's the kind of relationship. Blessed are those who do not see and still believe. Because faith doesn't come by seeing, it comes by hearing. Can you hear the voice of God? Moses posed this very point. The, the real question about the Torah, and whether or not we keep the Torah or not, I can put to you the way Moses put it to us. He simply asked the question, he said, can you hear the voice from the mountain? Can you hear him saying those words? If you don't and you can't hear him, you don't know about keeping the commandments yet. It's when you hear him saying the commandments that you suddenly hear in your heart, you can hear his voice and he's speaking to you. Yeah, he's speaking to a lot of people, but he's really speaking to you. And because of who he is, and because he's speaking personally to you, all of a sudden you understand what obedience is all about. Why do I obey him? Because I love him. Because I want that relationship. It's not a theology. 
It's not a religion. It's not religious doctrine that I teach and keep the Torah. It's because of my relationship with the living God. And I can still hear his voice on Mount Sinai speaking these words. And the people, they heard the voice then, but they didn't have the heart. Today, many believers are called to the Lord and we turn our hearts over to the Messiah. But can we hear what God has said from the mountain? Can we hear what he spoke to us as instruction to us? With that in mind, I want you to now listen to what Isaiah further says. Verse 10. If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness. Your gloom will become like midday. The Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Give strength to your bones, and you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repair of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. And he really hammers the point home on this one. If because of the Sabbath, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Remember me telling you about hearing the voice of God? How would you like to hear the Lord say, I'm going to cause your life to ride on the heights of the earth. I'm going to feed you with the heritage of your family, Jacob. And you are going to be part of my kingdom. And you will be part of my family. Quite honestly, guys, there is no reward in this world of any type that it can even come close to this. This is the one you want to pursue. This is the one that you desire. <coughs> Pardon me. And as you know, uh, Sabbath uh, carries a very special significance in the commandments. First of all, the recognition of the Sabbath is a recognition of the Creator. When God spoke the Ten Commandments, He reminded us to keep the Sabbath, remember to keep the Sabbath, for in six days I created the heavens and the earth. On the Sabbath, I rested, and I gave it to you as a gift. For us to recognize God as creator, which is, by the way, the very first thing that God revealed and manifested himself about to us. He wants us to have a relationship. Step number one in a relationship with the living God, recognize him as the creator. He created the heavens and the earth, the world that we live in. He created us. He created me. I wouldn't exist except by him. That alone, if you can grasp that, 
is incredibly profound. And it lays a foundation for all the other things that God wants to manifest himself about. And so he begins with this one thing. And he says, now, this Sabbath day thing is you stopping and you recognizing from the very beginning who I am. Taking note of who I really am to you. You get that straight. If we get that straightened out, all these other things will make sense for you. The children of Israel, as they had covenant and made covenant with the Lord there in the, in the wilderness and received the Torah. Another rendition from Deuteronomy 5 is that it specifically also then cites for the Sabbath, the reason for the Sabbath, is I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who redeemed you. I'm the one that saved you and called you out to bring you to the promised land. So remember the Sabbath. And then we find out that the Messiah, the pinnacle of our faith, is referred to as the Lord of the Sabbath. You have to be able to know how to keep Sabbath to be able to keep any of the other festivals. Because many of the, sa the festivals call for a high Sabbath in the festival or, or a couple of high Sabbaths. And you have to know what a Sabbath is before you can even keep the festivals. Everything is predicated and built on it. Our relationship with God is predicated and built on this truth that God is the creator. Six days he created the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day he rested it and he blessed it and he gave it as a gift to us. So that we would have a day of rest. So it would be a picture of the kingdom. And by the way, Sabbath is one of the most powerful pictures of the messianic kingdom. 6,000 years. The last day. 1,000 years. And the, by the way, the millennial kingdom, the, the messianic kingdom, is referred to as a thousand, thousand years. It's the last day that the prophets speak of. It's the Sabbath of millennia for it. <coughs> In the course of coming to terms with the Sabbath, in the course of observing the Sabbath and growing in it and learning about it and coming to terms with God's our creator. He's our redeemer. He's the one that brought us out of Egypt. He's the one who is my Messiah and king. And he's the one who established his kingdom. And that Sabbath has to do with all of that explaining to us. Then you begin to see how God has been manifesting himself to us. And that's how, quite honestly, you come to the point where that you can spend time with the Lord fasting and you'll do it correctly. Nothing else. We enter into that equation. You will have plenty to think about and plenty to meditate about and plenty to be thankful for on your Sabbath day as you rest with the Lord as a result of coming to terms with it. Now, the promise is incredible that he will cause our lives to be much better off. Reminds me of an instruction that I received very early on as I began to study Torah. There was a fellow who came up to a rabbi and he said, 
why should we obey the Lord? And the rabbi answered him, and he said, for two reasons. First, you should obey the Lord because it's going to be better for you. Lots of good things will come your way, blessings and so forth. And, but the second one is even greater than the first one. The second reason is because the Lord said so. And it comes down to um, a recognition of who he really is. He recognizes who we really are. <laughs> and despite knowing who we really are, he still loves us. <laughs> and despite knowing what we do and the foolishness of us, he continues to heal us and preserve us and to protect us and nourish us and raise us up. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, that there's a basic nature in me that when I see that kind of grace being given to me, there's a natural part of me that wants to say thank you. And I think that's in the heart of every believer to say thank you. Thank you, Lord that you've been this gracious. In this particular example, it deals with the most intense, quite honestly, religious activity or ritual activity you can do. He says, even in the midst of that, boy, check the equipment and make sure you're doing it right. Make sure it's correct. And one of the ways that you can do it, let's say in the middle of the day, you want to fast. Wonderful. So that lunch you were planning on buying, go buy somebody else's lunch. And oh, by the way, keep washing your face and looking fresh so nobody knows you're fasting. Just fast to the Lord. That's the way to do it. And he said, getting involved in other people's lives. That's one of the keys of personal happiness. And I can vouch for that. I can tell you one of the most joyous things I get to do in this ministry is to find and meet people that are in need and be able to move some of the Lord's resources to directly help them and and to see the connection how the Lord's resources went directly to helping them and it just proved again and again because I don't have them I don't have those resources and I get to see the Lord do it you know for many many people all right, I want to get into chapter 59 just a little bit here. And um, so let me read to you this next paragraph, and this will be our final part for this episode. Chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, neither is the ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. <clears throat> no one sues righteously, and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adders' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of the eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a snake brings forth, breaks forth. The webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. And as an act of violence it is in their hands, their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. 
Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, devastation, and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. I think this is where Isaiah was explaining politics. He was explaining what men think is righteousness, what they think is service and doing good in a community. That's how distorted our world is. And it truly is distorted. I think the way Isaiah is presenting this is for you and I, as we read this, it's not just him condemning people. He's actually talking to us. He wants us to truly be able to discern and to recognize what we're in the midst of. He wants us not only to choose the Lord, but do so with great wisdom to understand what the other choice really is. And to, if you will, say to us, you don't want to be a part of that. And as, you're, as I was reading through that, who wants to be a part of this? This is ugly. This is terrible. This is the world we live in. We ourselves have seen individual instances of this. We've seen corporate and group instances of it. Sadly, <clears throat> this has become the dominant description of our own country. Which is, by the way, another sign to me that we must be the last generation and we're coming to the end of it. The blessings are getting ready to go away. Judgment is for certain. And reading this and seeing what the Lord sees, there should be no question in our mind about why God's judgment is going to be true and just when he comes and executes the day of the Lord on the world. Because the world is full of these kinds of people. And we have to deal with them. We have to live in the midst of their community. We have to uh, be aware of what they're doing and saying. And they're trying to influence us to join with them, be a part of them. In fact, if we don't join with them, they hate us. And, um, and, they, and they want to get rid of us. That's the nature of this kind of activity that separates itself from the Lord that completely. We need to cling and hold to the Lord and not allow the world to lay grasp to us in the midst of that. All right, my voice is just about given out. So I'm going to conclude at this point, and in our next session we'll pick up with verse 9 in chapter 59 and begin that. So let me bid you farewell and shalom, everyone. Thank you.